0: back to get another episode of ball with y'all today is wednesday march 30th which means we're just one day away from the end of march and two days away for that matter from the beginning of april and i gotta say i am pretty excited for the beginning of april because as far as i'm concerned that means we are basically just one month away from the beginning of summer i don't really know when summer begins but as far as i'm concerned may 1st marks summer and to that extent The month of April brings a litany of spring games across the Southeastern Conference as well, which will give us a lot of context as to what we'll see this fall and some of the storylines that we'll see over the summer and some of the young players that are really standing out here in the spring. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because there are a lot of things going on prior to those spring games. In fact, we have a full show, like I always tell you, for today as well. And, you know, I would say that today's show hits pretty hard, almost as hard, as Will Smith hit uh, hit our friend Chris Rock this past Sunday at the Oscars. But nonetheless, a loaded show for you. I would like to thank you for joining us, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public Breaker, or, of course, if you are tuning in via YouTube at BWI Productions. We are so glad to have you here today for what I believe is episode 11 or 12 here in season 2. Uh, We are chugging chugging along here this season and uh, really enjoying the direction that we're going and so glad to have you along for the ride. Now, as far as where we are going today, right, of course, we are in the middle of March Madness. Although we're almost done with the month of March, the madness continues with the Final Four this weekend and then, of course, the championship game on Monday. I'll kind of give you a preview as to what I expect to happen, what I hope happens, and we'll go from there. And also a little little bit of... a parallel between the college basketball world and the college football world and some of the lessons that we might be learning from the tournament. And then we'll turn it over to, uh, you know, I mentioned a week ago, I mentioned two weeks ago that there were a lot of NFL headlines, right? And I said, well, maybe after after you see some of the quarterbacks move around, maybe at that point you won't see as much as many moves. Maybe you won't see as many headlines. And maybe things will start to die down just a tad, right? Just a, just a bit. And then uh, late last week, breaking news, Tyreek Hill being traded from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins, right? Joining alongside Tua Tagovailoa, Mike Gesicki, Jalen Waddle, a number of incredible athletes for the Dolphins. So I want to break down my top five wide receiver duos in the NFL now that Tyreek Hill is officially a Dolphin. And spoiler alert, there might be a little bit of a, a, bit of a South Florida bias here. Even though I don't support the Dolphins, there might just be a little bit of a bias on that front. And lastly, we'll get into uh, what we saw this past Sunday at the Circuit of the Americas, what we like to call CODA, with uh, Ross Chastain winning his first career race and then also taking a peek at this coming Sunday at Richmond Motor Speedway. With that said, let's get into story number one. So story number one, I am in a pretty good position with my bracket. A week ago, I said that I was, I think, at 95.1% or so. Uh, Last I checked, I think I was at 98.5% with my bracket. I don't really know what that means. I guess I'm better than 98% of the country or so, which is cool. That's awesome. I really don't know, again, what all that looks like, but I'm pretty happy with my bracket, right? I haven't gotten everything right. Uh, I, I mentioned that I was all in on Arkansas. In fact, I had Arkansas going to the championship game, and... Of course they fell flat, right? They, they they beat Gonzaga. I had a lot of hope after they beat Gonzaga. I was like, "Okay, they beat the number 1 overall seed, and then you have to face Duke led by Mike Krzyzewski, who of course is in his last little ride here, you know, kind of going down his Michael Jordan days, if you will." I wasn't feeling too good, right? And so then Saturday night comes and they get blown out of the water by Duke. I was like, "Okay, well there you go, right?" But I still had a shot because, you know, I lost St. Mary's, I lost Arkansas, but I still had Villanova and I still had Kansas. And guess who? got to the final 4 Villanova and Kansas right and so now i am all in on the Kansas Jayhawks i mentioned before i was rock chalk Jayhawk i had Kansas winning the championship and they're still in the fight to do it right uh before we get into the final 4 itself and what i what i hope will happen what i expect will happen just a couple other things that stood out over the over the sweet 16 and the elite 8 uh, St. Peter's, what an incredible story for St. Peter's coming out of Jersey City, right? Uh, you know, the great thing about the college basketball world is there is so much parity. You don't really see it so much in college football because uh, there's, such a, there's such a talent difference between, I mean, in, in some years, from between the top three and then the rest of the league, but in most cases, at least the top 25 and then the rest of the league, there's such a massive gap. Whereas in college basketball, I mean, a lot of these teams are pretty equal. I know there's going to be some teams that have, you know, a litany of of number one overall or or first round draft picks, second round draft picks in the NBA. Guys who will go overseas and play prominent roles in other countries as well. But St. Peter's is a great example of, of what can happen when you get guys excited, when they have the momentum at the right time, when you catch the team at the wrong time, you never know what will happen. So then, when they when they go out there and beat Kentucky, beat Murray State, and then beat Purdue, which, mind you, I didn't really have Purdue going too far. I equated them to uh, like a, like an Iowa light, if you will. I really wasn't big on Iowa. Of course, they lost to Richmond uh, in the first round. I wasn't really expecting Purdue to do too much. But then when they get to the was it the the Sweet 16 to face off against against our friends St. Peter's, I was like, okay, that's that's not nothing's going to happen there, right? piece of cake but then it's National Peacock Day and I I had to take a step back and say okay are the peacocks of St. Peter's really going to lose on National Peacock Day and lo and behold they did not and it was such a beautiful sight to behold right and the Sweet 16 did not disappoint of course we saw Miami they got into the Elite Eight to face off against Kansas where ultimately they fell short of course which I was okay with granted I had Miami getting to the Elite Eight so I was I was particularly pleased with that as well. Overall, an incredible uh, first uh, first few rounds here, ending getting into the to the final four we have now. The interesting thing about this tournament, though, I think it taught us something very interesting about how playoff expansion could or could not work, right? Uh, in fact, I would venture to say that this tournament taught us that college football playoff expansion is not necessary. I think it's shown us that the cream usually will rise to the top. Now, why do I say that? Well, I know that we had we had St. Peter's make the Elite 8, a 15 seed. We had Miami, a 10 seed make the make the, make the Elite 8. I know we have a an eight seed North Carolina getting to the final four. So you might be sitting here saying, this is the perfect example as to why we need to expand because you had teams that would have had no business getting into a a glorified uh, invitation-only tournament. You would not have, you had no business, St. Peter's had no business getting into that situation otherwise, and they're having an opportunity here as a result. Well, yes, but I go back to the amount of parity. North Carolina. I know that they're only they're, they're an eight seed. I understand that, right? But there's also a number of people that are putting their money on on North Carolina right now to beat Duke this coming Friday, Saturday. A lot of people are putting their money on North Carolina, understandably so, because North Carolina, you trust them. You know that they've been there before, and you know that they could do it again, right? Miami. Wasn't exactly entirely surprising. They're in the ACC. It's, it makes sense, right? St. Peter's came out of nowhere, but even still, again, I go back to the parity. They wouldn't have had a shot against Kentucky if they didn't have talented players, right? And that parity, that talent gap, is so much more exaggerated. Uh, lack of parity, the talent gap, that's is so much more exaggerated in college football, whereas in college basketball, you don't see it as much. So, yes, you you might get an upset or two Right in in, in in college football, if you were to expand the playoff, if you were to go to 16 teams, you might see a St. Peter's go on a run, maybe maybe one or two every 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 other couple of years, right? You might see that. You might, but more than likely, you're going to see that the top is going to stay at the top. And to that point, North Carolina is a great example. What if Clemson slips slips off a little bit one year and they fall to maybe an 11 seed in the in the college football playoff? Who's to say they're not going to get up to the top anywhere, right? It, it goes back to the top is just so good in college football, where I don't care how many how many teams you put in the playoff. What you're probably going to see is that the cream, the, the top will always rise. The cream will always rise to the top. Alabama's always going to be there. For the foreseeable future, as long as Nick Saban's there, they're going to be there. Ohio State's going to continue to be there. Georgia's going to, going to continue to be there. And they're not going to lose to an Indiana in the first round and if they do it would be a massive upset but a massive upset like yeah I know St. Peter's was like oh my gosh they beat Kentucky but was anybody really like oh my gosh it's over No, no, no I mean people get it it happens right with Lehigh beating Duke several years ago with Georgia State beating Baylor it happens but it would be unprecedented for a 16 seed to beat a one seed in the college football playoff and that's because it would never even happen but on the flip side of it what happened when these teams, when these lower-seeded teams, got to the, the, the rounds where it counted most? Well, North Carolina boat-raced St. Peter's, and, and Miami got boat-raced by Kansas. So these teams, when they got to the good teams, when they got to the teams that they actually were going to cause them problems, they fell short. And now I know you're going to say, okay, well, Auburn played Miami and Miami beat Auburn. Well, yeah, Auburn also lost their last regular season, well, I guess it was uh, tournament Game to I believe Texas A&M who didn't even make the NCAA tournament. So I don't want to sit here and say that Auburn wasn't good or that some other schools that Miami didn't that Miami played that they weren't good. Same for, for North Carolina of course North Carolina beat Baylor. But I go back to when you get to the to the rounds where it matters most and when the pressure is on, I don't expect these lower seeds to to do anything substantial. Again the talent gap is not nearly as large in basketball as it is in football, but. What I do think that we are seeing now, especially as a result of this tournament, is that there's really no need to expand the playoff because, again, the teams that, are, that deserve to be there, the teams that, that deserve to win championships are usually in that picture. Maybe they're, maybe they're on the outside looking in, right? I can understand maybe like a six-team playoff. Sure, that's fine, right? But 12, 16? I've heard 24-team playoffs. No, 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 no. That's unnecessary. And, again, like we're seeing here, Sneaking into the playoff as a, as a, as a 23 seed or as a, as a 15 seed, you're probably not going to make that much of a difference, right? Your school might make a little bit more money. Okay, cool. But does that really do any, anything for the product that we see? Yes, we might get a St. Peter's every other year. But more than likely, we're going to get an Auburn boat racing Jacksonville State in the first round, right? Or we're going to get Kansas running over Miami when it comes to the, the Elite Eight or will be the equivalent of a quarterfinal in the college football playoff. It just doesn't seem feasible. And while we continue to watch this whole tournament play out, it seems like that's the direction we're going. That, again, playoff expansion doesn't make any sense in the football world if the basketball model is any indication. Now, as far as what I expect to see happen this coming Saturday and Monday, I still like Kansas to beat Villanova. That was my original bracket. I said Kansas over Villanova, Kansas advancing to the final. I'll stick with that. I am a man of my word. Now, on the other side, I had Arkansas and St. Mary's. Uh, St. Mary's didn't make it out of the first weekend. Arkansas, of course, lost to Duke. Uh, you know, I would love, I would love for Duke to lose to North Carolina. I just don't really know if it's going to happen. If it does, outstanding, right? I'm just not going to call it here. What I do expect to happen, though, I expect Kansas and Duke to face off, and I would love to see Bill Self beat Mike Krzyzewski in his last game as the head coach for the Duke Blue Devils. So I'll take Kansas to win the championship, much like I projected two or three weeks ago. I'll stick with Kansas, but this time to beat Duke, not Arkansas, but Duke in the national championship game on Monday. Now, I promise you, we'll be discussing that and more come next week. So uh, keep me honest on that one and keep tabs on the NCAA tournament as we wrap up here in what has been a wild tournament that's gotten to a relatively uh, ho-hum finale, if you will, with these Final Four teams. But nonetheless, it should be a lot of fun this coming Saturday and Monday. On to story number two. With story number two, I uh, I really was kind of surprised when I saw the headline that said Tyreek Hill is going to the Miami Dolphins, that he's been traded to the Miami Dolphins, for a number of reasons. I don't know why anybody would want to come to Miami. Uh, if you're not familiar, there's... <laughs> A lot of bad things happening in Miami when it comes to their coaches as supposedly being bribed to lose football games and lawsuits. And is to a really a good quarterback? They almost tried to get Deshaun Watson, and they couldn't because of a number of, of external factors and, and so on. Miami's been a bit of a dumpster fire for the latter part of the last – I would say probably since they may have won the division in 2008 maybe or maybe they came close I'm not really sure maybe 2007 regardless it's been a long time since Miami was was particularly good at football and even that year where they almost won the division or maybe they did uh, if you recall Tom Brady tore his ACL around that same time frame too so uh, (laughs) they have not been good for a while and they're not going to be good for a while either well Maybe. I'm not not entirely sure how that unfolds. But nonetheless, when I saw that Tyreek Hill was was being traded from Kansas City, that they were willing to dump him to Miami, and then he proceeded to sign a four-year deal, I had to take a step back and say, okay, well, maybe Miami's actually going to take this seriously. Maybe they're actually going to invest the the weapons and the the talent into Tua and say, okay, Tua, we know that you had talent in Alabama, and we know that's why you succeeded. So let's give you talented weapons, right? Let's give you Jalen Waddle. Let's give you Mike Gesicki. Let's give you Raheem Mostert at running back. And now let's give you Tyreek Hill. Now, I want to make a comment. I, I, I'm not a big fan of Tyreek Hill, right? I, I don't really like his character. I don't like a number of things about him. And, and to that point, uh, whenever he's played my football team, I've been I've been terrified of watching him because I know he's going to beat us on every single play. But I thought it was a great addition for the Miami Dolphins, and I thought it was a great move by Kansas City as well. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to miss Tyreek Hill as much as Tyreek Hill is going to miss Patrick Mahomes. But I say that knowing that, Tua has had moments of brilliance, right? And that's not me saying that from an Alabama football fan lens. I'm saying that from, a, from the lens of just watching him play. Once they finally understood that he was not going to conform to their offense and that they needed to conform to him, which honestly, when you draft a guy fourth overall or third overall, wherever they drafted him, fifth, I don't know, in 2019, 2020, it's going to happen, right? You have to conform to your quarterback. Jacksonville is doing the same thing with Trevor Lawrence right now. You have to conform to the guy that you're going with. And for, for, for once, in three years, they're actually going to give Tua, not only the weapons, but hopefully the time. Hopefully, you know, they start to beef up beef up the offensive line. I saw they've already made a couple of moves here over the past few weeks. They're actually giving Tua an opportunity to succeed, and that's not something we've seen so far uh, throughout to his tenure with the Dolphins, so it's going to be it's going to be really exciting to say the least. Now, I want to break down my top five wide receiver combos in the NFL. Now that Tyreek Hill has left the Chiefs and so on, who do we think are top five wide receiver duos? Who what what players going to be terrorizing defenses this fall on the outside? Well, I want to make an honorable mention we'll go in a reverse order here i want to make an honorable mention to tyler lockett and uh, dk metcalf because i I would have them higher honestly because dk metcalf is is a is a is a a, a superhuman he's 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 a god among men kind of thing i mean he's incredible just uh coming out of Ole he he's an incredible athlete and and he stands tall above literally and figuratively a lot of receivers in the nfl but uh, rumor has it he's about to get traded right and at the, that's at the time of recording because he could very well get traded uh, before this gets released but at the time of recording he is still a Seattle Seahawks so as an honorable mention I'll go Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf right outside of our top five now number five I love Mike Evans and Chris Godwin now, I mentioned on a couple episodes ago that Chris Godwin had gotten tagged uh franchise tag which kind of helped Tom Brady to come back and and almost like encouraged him, like, hey, you're going to have a weapon or two. Well, Mike Evans, we know he did incredible things at Texas A&M, and Chris Godwin was, a, was one of Tom Brady's top receivers a year ago. So having him locked up, they actually went, went a step further and actually signed him to a contract extension a couple days ago. So uh had a great, great combo there. And honestly, especially when you've got a guy the like Tom Brady, you need as many weapons as you can get because he will spread it across the field. So incredible opportunity there for Tampa Bay. Another team in the NFC, I love – Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson for the Los Angeles Rams. Cooper Cup, of course, we know. I, I believe he won the Offensive Player of the Year uh, in 2021. I believe he won the Super Bowl MVP as well. This man, he 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 doesn't check off all the boxes from a physical standpoint, from from what you can look at, right? He he doesn't have the size that you might be looking for. He doesn't necessarily have all the speed you might be looking for. But he he reminds me a lot of like a Jordy Nelson, right? If you remember Jordy Nelson for the Packers and early 2010s, mid-2010s, and so on. Uh, Cooper Cup is just an incredible athlete, and then pairing him alongside Allen Robinson, who his entire career has had just horrible quarterbacks. I mean, there was a stat I saw once that said uh, Allen Robinson, the number of passes that were thrown to him that were catchable was the lowest among all receivers in the NFL. So the fact that he Hawks he have a good quarterback now in the form match Matt Stafford should be a good sign for him. I love Devonte Adams and I don't just say that because I, I am a Packers fan and I will miss him dearly but I love Devontae Adams and I love well I don't love his teammate Hunter Renfro terrorized me when he was a Clemson when he played at Clemson which I felt like he played at Clemson for for a decade because of how long he was there and how many how many years he terrorized Alabama defenses but Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams for the Las Vegas Raiders will continue to be a threat Throughout the AFC this year, especially in the AFC West, they're going to terrorize those defenses. As long as Derek Carr stays upright, <laughs> I'd watch out for Adams and Hunter Renfro on the outside. Number two, I love Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Jamar Chase, of course, LSU great. He stepped away from the game for a year, said I'm not going to play in the COVID year. I'm not going to. I'm not going to play a year after Joe Burrow left, and then proceeded to join alongside his former teammate in the form of Joe Burrow and uh, had a pretty strong year, I would say. He had a pretty strong year in his rookie campaign, and I expect that to only continue here in year two. T. Higgins, same idea. He had some incredible plays, had an incredible play in the the Super Bowl as well. I expect that trend to only continue. Now, one duo I have not mentioned, of course, they are my number one wide receiver duo, and it kind of goes without saying. I mentioned earlier I had a little bit of bias when it comes to our South Florida connection here, but honestly, it's not just bias. I really do think that this is... One of the most lethal threats in the NFL right now. Now, whether it actually transpires in the fall, we'll see. But without a doubt, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle on the outside in the slot, wherever they line up, will be a, a a frightening sight to behold for any NFL defense. Right, and and as an Alabama fan, I'm going to continue to love Tua T- 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 Loa and uh, Jalen Waddle throwing uh, throw and catching passes on the on whichever side they go. Right. I'm going to love seeing Tyreek Hill with that speed over the top of those defenses. It's going to be incredible. Plus, again, they have Mike Isecki, uh, you know, with, on the, as the tight end, and he'll, he'll catch balls in the middle, he'll catch balls on the outside. He's a great threat for two. and like I mentioned also, they've started to round out the offensive line. They've started to get some reliable running back support as well. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that all this is going to make the Dolphins a title contender. I don't believe that, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Dolphins... Make the playoffs, maybe as like a, a high wild card, maybe like a five seed, and then you'll see what happens, right? Do we know if Tua is the franchise quarterback? I don't know, but I think what we're going to see here in the near future is that Tyree Kill, the addition of Tyree Kill, is going to show us exactly what we need to know about Tua. Is he capable of leading a team to a playoff run when he has the weapons to do it? When he has Tyree Kill, when he has Jalen Waddle, when he has Mike Gesicki, when he has. A number of other players out there that can catch passes and do it reliably, can he put the ball on time and on the right place? I would hope to think so, but we won't know until this fall. But as far as I'm concerned, that passing duo right there with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, that is the one to watch this fall. Of course, just followed by Jamar Chase and T. Higgins up for the Cincinnati Bengals. On to story number three. When I was watching Coda this past Sunday, I, I mentioned last week that I was really excited, that I was really excited, that I was so excited because I was ready to watch Chase Elliott win his first race since Fourth of July, 2021, when he won at Road America, a road course, of course. And of course, if you recall Chase won at Coda a year ago. It was a rain-shorted race. We talked about this before. And it wasn't exactly the prettiest race. There were a number of things that kind of went into that race that a lot of people had a lot of questions about. And this is their second running at COTA. And so my only thought process is, okay, Chase is going to go back to back, and he's going to get that first win of the year, first win since 2021, the summer of 2021. The, 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 he'll wrap up all of the winning this year for Hendrick Motorsports because, Tyler, or because uh, Kyle Larson's won a race this year, and William Byron, he won Atlanta a week ago. And, uh, of course, Alex Bowman, he won earlier this year as well. So it was only a matter of time until Chase got on the board as well. And I was so excited because I knew this was going to be his moment. He was the road course king. He's won seven times on road courses. How could he not win here, right? And then, of course, in the first run at this race, uh, first run at, at, at this at this course, the first road course of the year, and in the new car, might I add, the first time they've been in a road course in a, the new car Ross Chastain comes away with a win. And it was pretty, it was pretty cool to see because, you know, we knew it was a matter of time until Ross Chastain would win a race. He's a lot like a, like a Tyler Reddick, if you will. Tyler Reddick, he's, uh, he drives that eight car and he's, he's led a lot of laps this year, right? he's been on the verge of winning this year. In fact, he was on the verge of winning at at, uh, Atlanta only a week ago. He was on the verge at, uh, was it Las Vegas or Phoenix a few weeks ago as well? He's had opportunities, and Ross Chastain has been the same as well. His last three races, I believe he's been in the top three, all three races. So, again, only a matter of time until Ross Chastain took advantage of this and actually went for it and won the race. And, you know, to that point, he led the most laps on Sunday, but he almost blew it when it counted most. You know, there was that, that moment where where he pushes Almendinger out of the way or Almendinger pushes him out of the way, and uh, and then and then you end up having Alex Bowman. Coming around the edge, right? While Almondinger or Chastain fighting it till the end. And and Chastain just sends Almondinger into Bowman. Clears both of them out. Chastain takes the checkered flag. And ultimately, you know, was it the cleanest way to win the race? No. But when you're at a road course, you have to do what you have to do. Almondinger, he wasn't even going to benefit from winning the race. Because again, Almondinger isn't running for points in these races. Chastain is in fact Chastain might have just solidified himself in the playoffs you know and and we'll get more into into some of what that might look like and will he actually be solidified in the playoffs and so on in a second but overall it was a great day for Chevrolet right we had Ross Chastain finishing first Bowman he ended up still finishing second uh, Chase Elliott finished fourth Reddick fifth Eric Jones who had uh, an up and down day throughout the day he he got into the top 10 at one point in time, then slipped back a little bit, and then uh, he, he somehow snuck his way back up there, finishing ninth. And lastly, Austin Dillon wrapping up at 10th place. So, overall, a strong day for Chevrolet. You know, there are a couple cars who didn't run so well. Kyle Larson had a rough day, he got into some accidents and so on. Uh, but overall, it was a strong day to be a Chevrolet. And like I mentioned, I thought Alex Bowman had the race won at the very end much like I thought he had the Xfinity race won on Saturday. Now, I'm not going to get too much into this because I'm sure you probably did not watch the Xfinity race. And I didn't watch... No, I guess it was the truck race, not the Xfinity race. You probably did not watch the truck race, but there was a moment where it looked like Alice Bowman could win, that it looked like Kyle Busch could win. And instead, they all three, all third, there was uh, Bowman, Busch, and, uh, and and I think it was uh, Friesen. They all kind of go off to the side. I think Bowman pushes them off, and Zane Smith drives through in the fourth-place car, ends up becoming the first-place car, And wins the race. Kind of the same thing happened here in some way, shape, or form. And overall, as I step back and watch the race and, and, and kind of reflected, I know some people hate road racing, right? Um, and courses like this because they don't view it as exciting, they don't view it as as appealing, they kind of view it as 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 boring, if you will, right? But in my opinion, this is one of the more fun races of the year. Because it goes beyond just just the... There's not a whole lot of passing. I get that. I know, right? But the pitch strategies, how do they play a role, right? Or, for example, when Matt... Or not when Matt Benedetto, When... Uh, was it Nemechek or, or Stenhouse? I believe it was Stenhouse. When he ends up stalling on the track, but it looks like there's going to be a caution, but not quite yet. And then cars just start flooding pit road because they know that they can take advantage of this. And then they do, and it almost works out for them in the end, right? The strategy that comes into play when you pit, how do you pit? What do you do with your tires? And how long will your tires hold on, right? Uh, You know, there are some guys who had strong runs with their tires, and then toward the end, they started to fall off, right? it was an incredible race in my opinion until you get to the late cautions and that kind of gets a little repetitive right and and that's the thing about cautions usually cautions breed cautions so you have one caution a restart and then another caution because of an accident that happened on that restart and then you got Kyle Larson and, and Joey Logano going into the wall and Kyle and, and uh, Kurt Bush getting into them, into them as well and that's three strong drivers that are all of a sudden out just because of a caution right so you hate to see that but I always go back to I feel like road courses are the great equalizer. We've talked about it before, that these cars are somewhat of an equalizer, which, yes, that has been somewhat of a case. But even still, you've seen it with Alex Bowman, where if you have a great crew, you can still win a race, right? Or if you're Kyle Larson, you're just still an incredible driver, you can still win the race. Well, road courses, yes, you need a good crew, right? And yes, you need a good car as well, but a lot of it's on the driver, right? And so it's incredible to see a Ross Chastain, who's been working his tail off for Trackhouse, uh, was it Trackhouse Motorsports, or whatever their team name is called, uh, a first year for them with Daniel Suarez and, and Ross Chastain as the guys driving for him this year, to go out there and win. And Suarez has been in, in position to win throughout the year as well. He won stage one of this race. And, of course, he, he almost won, at, I believe, Las Vegas earlier this year. There have been numerous times where Trackhouse has been up there as well, and again, I go back to particularly at this racetrack, it felt like the great equalizer was the fact this track is so difficult. 20 different turns, and Ross Chastain navigated it with ease, right? Now, I mentioned that I thought Chastain could be in the clear as far as, as, far as making the playoffs now that he's won, because a lot of people think, for context, that you win and you're in, because the 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 way the rules work out is if you win a race, then that that uh, basically it goes it goes in order of points and so on. So the way it normally works out is you have your your regular season points champion, then whoever's won the race won won a race throughout the year, and then anybody else all the way up to sixteen guys making the playoffs. Well, of course, if you have more than sixteen winners, then that causes a problem. And honestly. The way that we're tracking right now, I'm not sure that, we'll, that we won't have more than 16 winners. Right now, we have six different winners through six different races. Now I know it's early, and we could see some repeat winners, but last year in the regular season we had 13 different winners. We ended up having 16 with Denny Hamlin winning in the playoffs, and, and Bubba Wallace and uh, AJ Allmendinger as well. But going into the in, going into the playoffs, we had 13. Well. Think about guys who have not won yet, and they'll start to add them up. Well, Denny Hamlin, he'll probably win at some point. That'll make it seven. Chase will probably win. Chase Elliott will will probably win at some point. That'll make it eight. Think of uh, guys like Ryan Blaney. Hasn't won yet. That'll make it nine. Harvick, ten. Will Keselowski get in? Now, we'll talk about Keselowski in a second, but he needs a win, to say the least, right? So that makes it ten. Almirola, will he get in there, right? Uh, Kyle Busch hasn't won yet this year. Kurt Busch, right? Bubba Wallace, will he sneak in there as well? That makes it 14. And there's already a couple other guys that I haven't mentioned as well that could easily get in there as well. So it's pretty likely that we're going to get to 16, right? Tyler Reddick, that'll make it 15. More than likely, we're going to get to 16. And what happens if we get to 16? Well, then it goes back to their points earned and so on. And this is where it could come back to bite Brad Keselowski. Now, why do I say that? Well, you probably saw there was this weird situation where I guess he modified, or somebody on his team modified a part, uh, a vendor piece that NASCAR did not like, and they mentioned earlier in this year that they were going to really uh, uh, strike down with some very strict strict penalties this year, and that is exactly what happened in this case, because Keselowski, he lost 100 points, he lost 10 playoff points. He doesn't have any playoff points, but he's already minus 10, right? And now the number of, playoff, uh, number of, of points he's lost, he's like sitting in 35th overall on points, which it might not seem like a big deal, but... Okay, first off, if you don't want a race, you need to be in the top sixteen of points. Well, and and you need not you, don't, you need less than sixteen drivers, sixteen guys to win. Well, more than likely we're going to see sixteen drivers win. So he needs to be one of those drivers that wins. And then to that point, if he gets into the playoffs, if he if he gets into the playoffs, he's already down ten playoff points. So he'll need to win two races just to even out. If he wins two races and wins a stage, he'll have eleven playoff points. But really, he'll just have one because of all the penalties that have, that have been unfolded, or that have been levied. And to that point, it's going to make it even more difficult if he does, in fact, make the playoffs. I don't know if he will. I don't expect that he will. But if he does, he's going to have a long ride ahead of him. And especially when you think about the, the fact that Ra- Roush Fenway, Ken- Keselowski Racing, has not done all that well this year. So what's to say that they're actually going to find themselves in position to actually make the playoffs? And at that point, one last point on Keselowski. Even if he wins, and, and, and is one of only 16 drivers to win a, win a race... If he, for whatever reason, is less than 30th in the points, he's not going to make the playoffs either. So, uh, massive hurdle here for Keselowski. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get in, but uh, suffice to say, he does not want to see 16 different drivers win a race this year, and it's looking like we were headed in that direction. Now, quickly looking over to Richmond this coming Sunday, a number of guys have done very well at this track before. Kyle Busch, he's got 18 top fives in 32 races uh, Denny Hamlin, 15 top fives in 30 races. Logano, he's won there twice. He's got uh, 12 career top fives and 25 career starts. And Martin Truex Jr., he's got three wins, uh, eight top fives in 31 starts. Now, a lot of guys have done well here. Uh, I believe Kyle Larson's won here as well. Uh, so really strong history throughout uh, at this track in particular. It's a pretty fun track. It's a short track. It's uh, There's going to be a lot of speed here at this track. It does not remotely compare to what we just saw this past Sunday. Who do we like most? I, I mentioned a lot of Toyotas there, right, with with Bush and Hamlin and Truex. I think anybody driving a Toyota this Sunday has a great shot. And that includes Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace has had a, has had a rough year so far. He's, he's lost his tires. He's, he's lost his right fender like a million times. Anything that could go wrong has gone wrong for Bubba Wallace this year. I'm not saying he's going to win this race, but I think any Toyota has a shot here. I think that they're due, right? I think that Denny Denny Cam, Denny Hamlin could be due. I think Kyle Busch especially could be due. Truex, I know he won here back in, in September at this same track. Who's to say he's not going to do it again, right? Uh, I'm not really sure that if it's Truex, but I like any Toyota, so I'll go with I'll go with Martin Truex Jr. just because he's won three different times at this track and he's got the recent success of this track. But I also I'll go with Christopher Bell, right? I'll take a name out of the hat. I'll go Christopher Bell as my second guy that could win this race on Sunday. So that is our show for today. Now, where do we go? Like I said, I like Kansas to win the national championship this coming Monday. I promise me, we will talk all about that comment next week. I like Tyreek Hill, and I like Jalen Waddle in Miami. I don't know how it will go, but I think they are the best wide receiver duo out there, just ahead of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Lastly, I like Martin Truex Jr. and or Christopher Bell to win the race this coming Sunday at Richmond. As always, I appreciate you joining us. If you want to check out more of our content, feel free to do so at uh, Ball with Y'all Ball with Y'all podcast on Instagram, or check out BWR Productions at YouTube or uh, any other platform. Like I mentioned earlier, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, or Breaker. We love getting connect getting to connect with you, and we hope you tell us more of what you want to hear and what you want to see because we love to get to hear from you as far as your p- feedback and get to understand what you are looking for from us. Now, one last time, again, I appreciate you joining us today. I hope you have a great Wednesday, and thank you for allowing us the opportunity to talk some ball with you.